let us start with the peace chant om bhadram karne bhishnuyam deva bhadram pashe maksha bhirya jatra sthirai rangai stushtvagam shastanu bhihi vyashem devahitai yadayuhu स्वस्तिना इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्तिना पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तिनस्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शातिशाशाति the 12th mantra we were doing the 12th mantra so please repeat after me amatras chaturtham amatras chaturtha abhyavahadya abhyavahadya prapanchopashama shivo advaitam एवं ओंकार आत्मैव संविशति आत्मना आत्मानं य एवं वेद द ओम इज द फोर्थ द अल्टीमेट द अल्टीमेट रियलिटी द सेल्फ इट सेल्फ it is the amatra the, the silence after the three letters a u and m it's the silence beyond the three letters it is the uh, it is beyond all transaction beyond all use it is the the cessation of the universe it is the auspicious beyond all sorrow it is it is non dual thus is omkar the self itself your real self the one who knows thus merges with the real self or samvishati atman atmanam would be realizes the self by the self so this is the 12th mantra um today at the end of the class since we are concluding the first chapter and also the upanishad itself and the first chapter of the mandukya karika we shall use a um a piece of classical music come come where which it is sung by uh, pandit jasraj yes one of uh, india's greatest classical uh, singers hindustani classical music singers pandit jasraj he has sung the mandukya upanishad so and uh, not the karikas just the upanishad itself so we shall use that uh, for a little bit of meditation so classical music and upanishad also at the same time now the f- f- um the 12th mantra deals with the conclusion of the upanishad this as you remember it is the smallest of the upanishads and uh, the upanishad has two parts mainly one part deals with the inquiry into the self into what we are and the other part deals with a meditation on om using om 
which is helpful to realize what has been taught in the first part. The meditation on Om is helpful. It's an aid, a support to understand what has been taught in the first part. What is the meditation on Om? We were told that Om has four matras, means letters, but actually three letters, A, U and M, closely approximated by the English A, U and M. And beyond that, the fourth one is silence. The silence into, into which Om um, merges, disappears. So four, A, U, M and silence. Corresponding to the four aspects of the self which we had talked about earlier. Your, the waker and the waking universe, the dreamer and the, your dream universe, and the deep sleeper and the merged causal universe of the deep sleeper. Beyond that, the one pure consciousness which actually appears and is experienced as these three, waking, dreaming and deep sleep. Now can you map them? The Upanishad taught us that you map them in this way. Match A, A to the waker, U to the dreamer and M to the deep sleeper. And in this way, when you, when you, do, when you go through this exercise, what you get is, ultimately, the silence will correspond to the well, the silence will correspond to pure consciousness. How does that work? It's like this. Here is the key to understanding the twelfth mantra. The twelfth mantra comes to the this this part. How you match the silence with pure consciousness? It works this way. Yes. The, the key to understanding this is like this. Words are connected to the objects they reveal. Each word corresponds to an object. The word book, for example, corresponds to this object. The word light corresponds to that object. So words correspond to objects. Each word corresponds to an object. Now in the same way what has been done here is we have been taught to, to associate the letter A with the waker and the waking world. The entire waking world, whatever you have and you the waker, all of this we have associated with the letter A as if the letter A is the name of this, is the word for this let's say. Now, to understand how this works, go back to the example of the gold and the ornaments. Three ornaments, we take three ornaments, a necklace and a bracelet and a ring and gold. And we note that it is gold alone which appears as a ne necklace, a bracelet and a ring. The essence of the necklace is gold. Essence means the substance. The reality of the necklace is gold. The reality of the ring is gold. The reality of the bracelet is, is the same gold. So gold alone. Gold is the reality. Come. Now, when we examine these ornaments with respect to gold, we realize that these ornaments are not a second entity apart from the gold. This is very important. 
the ornament does not exist exist does not exist in what sense apart from the gold so you cannot when you say gold and you use the word necklace you used two words gold and necklace you are not actually referring to two things remember words refer to things so each word refers to a thing but now you have two words which refer to the same thing the same golden or uh, necklace you have two words gold and necklace what does gold refer to that thing what does necklace refer to that very thing but which is the thing which refers to the substance itself to the reality itself the word gold refers to the reality necklace does not refer to any specific thing this is something we must understand this is the crucial concept at least intellectually one must grasp that necklace does not ref refer the word necklace does not refer to any substantial thing you say swami then what is it that you are wearing when you wear a necklace what are you wearing what when you ask what the substance is gold necklace refers to the gold with a particular name and form and 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 a use so necklace does not refer to a thing now when you see that the gold is the substance and the ornament is not a substance then the word for that ornament does not correspond to anything it does not correspond to any reality yeah. do you follow what i'm saying this is the secret if you if you grasp this you have grasp grasp the meaning of this uh, mantra if you do not grasp this the whole thing will appear mystifying the word gold refers to a substance the word necklace does not refer to a substance when when gold is in the play when you have got the word word gold which you are using when you are looking at the substance gold then what does the word necklace refer to nothing it does not refer to anything it does not refer to any real entity are you with me on this yes not all of you are on the same page yes yes and at this point someone might say i don't know what you're talking about i prefer my necklace <laughs> and we'll say that all right those who get it they'll say give give me the gold <laughs> yes it represents itself gold it represents the gold itself um the necklace does not represent anything else other than the gold yes uh, so the name and the form is not considered to be a thing not considered to be a thing in itself apart from the substance Abs apart from the 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 material hmm. practically when you look at it and make a thought experiment take the um, take the gold away the where is the uh, necklace you might say that it refers to a name and a form and a use but if you take the gold away where is the name and where is the form and where is the use none of them will stay without the gold right you must viscerally feel this therefore without the reality without the substance the name um necklace or bracelet or ring does not refer to anything there is no reality left in the necklace without the gold now this that the that the ornament that the ornament is not real apart from the substance the gold this is in sanskrit there's a term for this it's called padartha nisheda the negation of the object negation of the object 
What is the negation of the object? The object remains as it is. It's not that the necklace is going to disappear. But you realize by clear thinking, by analysis, that, um, the, that the object is nothing apart from its substance, uh, from, it, from, from its constituent substance, from its constituent reality. It's simple enough, simple enough concept. But this is called negation of the substance. And with which, which, what it means is that the ornaments, the necklace, the bracelet, all these ornaments, the ring, none of these ornaments, all these ornaments are negated with respect to the substance gold. When the ornaments are negated, the names no longer stand for anything. Necklace does not stand for anything. Uh, bracelet does not stand for anything. Ring does not stand for, stand for anything. If it stands for something, point it out. You cannot point it out apart from the gold. So it does not stand for anything. If it does not stand for anything, then the names are also negated. In Sanskrit, the technical term for this is Padanisheda. Pada means word and Padartha means object. So the Pada, the word is book and the Padartha object is this. The, in, in the philosophy of language recently, this distinction, um, it's, there's a famous incident of the professor Wittgenstein, the great philosopher in the 20th century in teaching in, where did he teach? In Cambridge or Oxford, Cambridge. He taught in Cambridge, I think. Yes, in, uh, in, in Cambridge. In a class, he was writing with a piece of chalk and he sh showed this. What is this? And he was talking about the word and the object. Pada, padartha. He showed the chalk and he asked, what is this? And, the per and one of the students said, why professor? It's a piece of chalk. It's a chalk. And he threw the chalk and he hit that guy. And he said, chalk is a word. That thing which hit you, is that a word? The word and the object are two different things. The object is negated, come. The object is negated when you realize that it is nothing apart from the constituents, material, the substance. The word is negated when there is no object corresponding to the word. So the words like, um, that like uh, the moment the, the ornaments are negated, realizing that they are not, nothing other than gold, then the words necklace, bracelet and ring are also negated. In Sanskrit, object negation is called padartha nisheda and word negation is called pada nisheda. Pada padartha nisheda. When the objects are negated, the words also are negated. Object negation means they do not refer to any specific thing. You cannot point out a thing apart from the constituent substance. And word negation means the word does not refer to anything. The word gold refers to the reality. But what does the word necklace refer to? What does the word ornament refer to? What does the word, uh, what does the word uh, uh, bracelet refer to or the ring? So this is clear. In the same way now, when you look at this, this is, this is how you apply the, all of this was an example. Um, gold and ornament and all of that was an example for this. A is the name of the waker and the entire waking universe. U is the name, the word used for the dreamer and entire dream universe. M, the letter M or in English M is the letter used, is the name used for the deep sleeper and entire, the causal universe, the deep sleep universe. But, 
Now let's go back to the first analysis which we did. Come, come. Let's go back to the first analysis which we did. That uh, it is one consciousness which alone which appears as the waker in the waker's world. It is that same consciousness, the Turiyam, which appears as the dreamer in the dreamer's world. It is the same consciousness which appears as the deep sleeper in the deep sleeper's causal universe. In that case, the waker and the waking world, the dreamer and the dream world and the deep sleeper and the deep sleep world are nothing apart from the Turiyam. This is what we realized in the first part of the Upanishad. You say, when did we do that? Go back to the earlier classes. You are that consciousness which appears in these three pairs. Hence, these three pairs, these three universes and their knowers are not apart from them. So this is the Padartha Nisheda, the negation of the object. Hence, the names also do not refer to anything. As the waker and the waker's universe is nothing apart from pure consciousness, then what does A refer to? Nothing. Nothing. So, as the waker and the waker's world are seen to be nothing other than pure consciousness, as appearances, names and forms in pure consciousness, so the word A has no reference left, it merges into silence. The silence here. As the dreamer and the dreamer's world are seen to be nothing but names and forms in pure consciousness, substantially nothing but consciousness, then the letter U, the name U, also merges into silence because it doesn't refer to anything. As the deep sleeper and the deep sleep universe are recognized to be nothing other than pure consciousness, then the letter M, which is the name of this state, also merges into silence. Why does it merge into silence? Why does A, U and M merge into silence? Because they do not refer to anything. What is the object corresponding to them? Nothing. This is called Padanishera, negation of the name or the word. Negation of the word, negation of the object. Just as the entirety of the experienced, the three pairs, are nothing other than pure consciousness, and this is understood. Just as the necklace remains as the necklace when it is understood to be gold, your waking world remains as the waking world when it is understood to be pure consciousness. It appears to be the same. And it works, everything works as it is. But you realize it is pure consciousness. Then what happens? You remain as pure consciousness. And it is referred to by the silence. Why by the silence? Because the other three sounds, a, u and m, the names, they have all merged into silence. Why? Because they do not refer to anything. What is the thing that they refer to? So this is the basic logic behind the 12th mantra. Now if you look at the 12th mantra, if I explained it in maybe too much detail, the simple idea behind it is, words refer to objects. If the word does not refer to an object, then the word, word is meaningless. Objects do not exist apart from their constituent substance. So the object has no existence apart from pure consciousness, just like ornament has no existence apart from gold. Hence, these names do not refer to anything substantial. They merge into silence. Yes. Now let us look at the 12th mantra. 
We did a little bit of this last time, I think. Amatra. Matra means the letter. So properly speaking, Om has three matras, three letters. A, U and Ma. The silence is not properly speaking a letter. That's why it's called Amatra. Not matra, not letter, but it refers to silence. Amatra Chaturthaha. It is the fourth. Exactly like pure consciousness is the fourth aspect. But really we know pure consciousness is not the fourth aspect. It's the only one aspect which appears as the three aspects. These three aspects are like the ornaments. They are, if I, even if I don't say illusory, they are experiential. But the stuff of that experience, the substance of that experience, the reality of that experience is the consciousness which you are. You alone experience yourself in the waking state as this. You alone, the Turiyam, you experience yourself as this in the dream state. You alone experience yourself as the deep sleeper in the deep sleep state. But all through, just like the gold in each of the ornaments, you are just this pure consciousness. So this silence refers to the pure consciousness. Fourth, just as this is the fourth, here also the silence is the fourth. Amatras Chaturtha, the silence at the end of Om is the fourth. Remember, however, this is another important thing to remember. This silence is not the absence of noise. I mean, I'm speaking and uh, there, is, there is sound. If I don't speak, if I don't speak, it's an absence of noise. The Amatra is not an absence. In that case, the self will become nothing. Shunyam, the void. No, what this silence refers to is the pure consciousness. How does silence refer to pure consciousness? When the all sounds fade away into silence, that silence, you remain as the witness to that silence. You remain, that consciousness remains as the witness to that silence. So basically this silence is silence consciousness. Consciousness as the witness to the silence. So silence does not refer to a physical silence, the opposite of noise. And then this silence can be cancelled by noise and also it's basically, there are two problems. If you just think silence means no noise, that's all. It doesn't mean that. Because there are two problems with that. One problem is, if there is noise, uh, ooh, mm, that means the silence is gone. That's one problem. And the second problem is, simply silence, the absence of noise, is an absence, it's nothing. It's not a positive something. And the self in that case will be a void, nothingness. Rather, the silence is consciousness itself. The silence represents consciousness, the witness consciousness which experiences silence. The silence itself is known by consciousness. If you chant Om, Om, the A, U and M, appear to you the consciousness and the silence after that also appears to you the consciousness. Right? Okay. I hope you won't fall down again. All right. All right then. The silence is the fourth it, and Pure consciousness is the witness to that silence. The silence, what I mean is, silence means this pure consciousness. It does not mean absence of noise. 
and therefore that silence continues even when a u and m are there behind them in the background of a u and m that silence is there that witness consciousness silence is there now about this fourth certain terms are used you will see they are exactly the same terms used in the seventh mantra which were used for turiyam in the seventh mantra which talked about turiyam do you remember nanta pragyam na bhish pragyam na bhayata pragyam na pragyana ghanam na pragyam na pragyam like that one that seventh mantra similar terms are exactly same terms are used here avyavaharya non transactional speech all of these are transaction when you speak it is transactional transaction means use right when you are using sounds you are using it but the silence is non transactional i give you the example if you have a person speaking in spanish if you have a person speaking in chinese another person speaking in hindi it all sounds different right you can hear it you can see the difference you can hear the difference but suppose they keep silent the chinese speaker the hindi speaker and the spanish speaker is the spanish silence and chinese silence and the hindi silence are can you distinguish between them no you cannot it is non transactional abhyavaharyam silence cannot be transactional you cannot distinguish then prapancha upashamah so silence corresponds to this pure consciousness where the three universes are not there prapancha means universe the causal universe the dream universe and the physical gross universe are not there in turiyam pure consciousness similarly in the silence no words are there so prapancha upashamah means the silence of all languages basically um basically the absence of dictionaries that's what it means prapancha upashama silence of the universe here silence of language shiva auspicious it is in um, the seventh mantra it meant that disturium is beyond suffering beyond all trouble and that is true silence is golden you know it's beyond all trouble it's speaking which gets us into trouble so silence <laughs> silence generally does not get us into trouble so silence is golden advaita non dual non dual all of these three are not different from this witness consciousness silence they arise from it they do not exist differently from it and they appear different but they all merge back into it again see note that just as these are not different from that pure consciousness these words also when they have nothing to refer to they merge back into silence so the silence is non dual with respect to a u and m evam omkara atmeva in this way om the holy or sacred syllable a word om is the self how is this om self here om means the silence beyond a u and m so this silence is the self this is what it means which self the pure consciousness which you are evam omkara atmeva the one who realizes this realizes what who realizes om the implied meaning of om the the final meaning of om what it culminates in that witness consciousness silence one who realizes om in in this way samvishati atmana atmanam merges into the real self by the real self 
realizes consciousness by consciousness. Um, in the Gospel of Ramakrishna, I found Sri Ramakrishna is saying that how does in the final final analysis how does one realize that one is Satchidananda, existence, consciousness, bliss? It cannot be done really through the mind. So the consciousness, as it were, realizes itself as pure consciousness. In the Mandukya Karika also, in the third chapter, there is a section where this topic comes up, where it is said that that the mind ceases. The mind can only work with reference to these three, with the waking world and the dream world and the deep sleep world. The mind can only work with reference to these three. When these three are not there, the mind has nothing to work with. So the mind, it gives an example, like uh, Shankaracharya gives an example, like a fire without any fuel, it ceases to burn. Fire without any fuel ceases to burn. In the same way, the mind becomes still because there is nothing specific for it to think about. In that case, the question is, then who realizes that I am pure consciousness, the Turiyam? And the answer is, consciousness itself realizes itself. That is, the, that is the condition of the mind, that pure consciousness alone shines in the mind. That is the state. So that is what is meant here. Samvishati Atmanatmanam. One, as it were, merges into consciousness by consciousness. I said as it were because there is really no merging. You are that. You realize yourself as that. Even the word merging can be misleading. I am merging into Brahman. I am merging into my real self. How can you merge into your real self? You are your real self. Real self. So, as if you merge into pure consciousness. This is the meaning of the twelfth mantra. And that concludes the Upanishad. Now, we shall see to explain this twelfth mantra, Gaudapada writes some beautiful karikas, verses, to conclude the first chapter. We shall see these verses, 24 to 29. All of these verses are about the twelfth mantra. And what is the twelfth mantra? A meditation on silence. Why a meditation on silence? Because it's the fourth letter or fourth aspect of Om. And why should we meditate on the silence which is the fourth aspect of Om? Because it corresponds to the fourth aspect of the self. What is the fourth aspect of the self? Pure consciousness. Which is distinct from waking consciousness, dream consciousness and deep sleep consciousness. And yet it is the foundation of all three. Right? So that's why we are using Om, the silence beyond Om to meditate on pure consciousness. How do we do that? What is it like? Some beautiful verses are mentioned here, uh, composed by Gaudapada. 24 to 29. Let's take them up one by one. Omkaram Padasho Vidyat Omkaram Padasho Vidyat Padamatra Nasamshayaha Padamatrana samshayaha Onkaram padasho gyatva Onkaram padasho gyatva Nakinched apichintayet Nakinched apichintayet Beautiful verse. Contemplate on the Om quarter by quarter. 
Why quarter? There are four quarters, right? So one, two, three, four. Contemplate on the Om quarter by quarter, matching the quarters of the self. Contemplate on it. Contemplate on a as this you, the waking person, and your entire waking experience. Contemplate next the next quarter. Ooh, as your dream world and you you in the dream itself. This one, the second quarter, match. Then contemplate mm, as the end of Om, where it Om merges into mm, you close your lips. Contemplate that as the deep silence and the stillness of deep sleep. Consider the remarkable experience of deep sleep because we, we think it's a blankness, we don't pay any attention to it. But if you look at it as an experience, it's, a, it's an experience spaceless, timeless, objectless. You see, in our entire experience of the universe, our life is, is uh, like a stage. And the stage is time and space. And the characters are objects. So time and space and object is our life. Look at it here now. This is the space. The time is from 4 o'clock to 5.30. And the objects are all of this. This is our experience. But imagine an experience where there is no object. Not even you. And no, no time. And no space. You might say, how come? There, why are you saying that there is no time or space in deep sleep? I, I sleep for, for a few hours and, I, and the space is the bed I sleep in. No. Your experience, right? When you talk about deep sleep, dreaming, it is your own experience. How do you experience? You don't experience three hours or four hours passing. You don't experience that you are in the bed. Nothing. Even that I am an individual being sleeping, that is also not experienced. Right? So, deep sleep. That is, mmm. And then contemplate the silence following Om as you, the pure consciousness. Pada matra nasamshaya. With conviction, nasamshaya. Without any, without any doubt, make this firm connection. The letters of Om are the four quarters of the experience. Whose experience? Your experience. What experience? All experience. Just think about it. All experience of anybody who has ever lived is within these. Omkaram padasho gyatva. Having known Om quarter by quarter, culminating in the silence, you as the witness of the silence, culminating in that, na kinchi da Do not think of anything else. It's an instruction for meditation, remember. Do not think of anything else. If any other thought comes into the mind, it will either be a thought about something in the waking world, or a thought about something you had experienced in dream or mental world. Or a blankness. Right? It will either be a physical thing which you see or experience outside. Or a mental thing. Or nothing. Blank. It comes within these three. Immediately merge it back into the pure consciousness. The silence. It corresponds to a, u or m. Bring it back to silence again. Stay there. Don't think of anything else. Thus you stabilize yourself in the witness consciousness. Which is the silence beyond a uma, which is the consciousness shining upon waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. So very beautiful. In one one verse, he has summarized this. Uh, Swamiji, when you say that you bring it back into silence, hmm. then 
aren't you kind of objectifying that silence? No, you are that silence. The the silence this this silence is not just the this silence is an is an objective silence is the silence which is where there is no noise. But what we are talking about is the subject, the pure consciousness shining in that silence. You have to bring it back to that. No, so how does one do that? Ah, exactly. So you again go through that. If any thought comes up, uh Uma. Suppose you think about how warm it is here. This warmth, isn't it a physical sensation? It belongs to a, uh, the waking world. Go through that Om. Now this waking world, dream world, deep sleep, silence, and the consciousness. Back again. Stay there. Any other thought comes up, don't think. But suppose it comes up, it will come up of course. We have untrained mind so it keeps coming up, bubbling up. It will either be something about the world outside or something about our internal worlds or just a blankness. All three do not correspond to any reality. The sil- then, so they all merge back into silence and you are the witness of that silence. Yes. Could you well, once again explain the difference between the third state and the fourth state? Very important question. What is the difference between deep sleep and this silence? Deep sleep is one state. What is the difference between mm and silence? Mm is still a sound. Silence is not a sound, right? Physically. You say om. Can you see the difference? It's, it's, it's a silence and, it's, it, the, and mm is a sound. The sound mm has a beginning and an end. It has a beginning and an end. The silence has no beginning and end. This silence. Similarly, here, deep sleep is a state. Right? Right now you're in the waking state. You're not in deep sleep state. So the deep sleep is a limited state. It has a beginning and an end. You go into deep sleep and you come out of it. It's a distinct state. Quite different from the other two states. But this consciousness here is different from the deep sleep. It is, the, it is that which enables you to experience the blankness of deep sleep, the world of dreams and the world of the waking. It is this very consciousness now which is enabling you to hear, see, understand, think, feel in the waking state. It's the very same consciousness which lights up your dreams. It's the very same consciousness which gives you the experience of deep sleeping. So this disconsciousness is very different from the deep sleep. As this silence is very different from mm. It's a sound, it's not a sound. It comes and goes, it does not come and go. Here, it's a particular state of the mind, it's not a particular state. It is the light behind all states. Yes. This question will be taken up later also. What is the difference between samadhi and deep sleep? Sushupti and samadhi. Later on it will come in the third chapter of Mandukya Karika. 25. All these are very beautiful, poetic verses. 25. All of them are about this silence. Yunjita pranave chetaha Yunjita pranave chetaha Pranavo brahma nirbhayam 
प्रणवो ब्रह्म प्रणवे निुक्त प्रणवे निुक्त न भय विद्यते क्वचि न भय विद्यते क्वचि युंजीत प्रणवे चेता फोकस ऑन प्रणव मीन्स ओम प्रणव इज द नेम ऑफ ओम प्रणव इज द वर्ड इट्स अ नेम फॉर मेनी बॉयज प्रणव सो प्रणव मीन्स ओम फोकस योर माइंड ऑन ओम युंजीत मीन्स कनेक्ट और योक योक योर माइंड टू ओम by chanting by thinking by meditating upon om basically he means meditate on om focus on om why pranavo brahma nirbhayam this om itself is brahman om is brahman in what sense in two senses om is brahman in two senses what are the two senses one is auma what does a stand for wake waking world and the waker in the waking world if you take the cosmic waker that's what a stands for what does u stand for the dreamer dreamer in the dream world if you take the cosmic mind hiranyagarbha and what does m stand for the deep sleep and the deep sleep darkness take the cosmic deep sleeper ishwara so if you take the cosmic waker cosmic mind and cosmic deep sleep virat hiranyagarbha ishwara then a u ma the sounds together taken together the om sound itself it stands for saguna brahman brahman with qualities brahman with attributes what is brahman with attributes at the physical level it is virat at the mental level it is hiranyagarbha at the causal level it is ishwara basically the sound om the word om stands for saguna brahman what's the approximate english word god so om stands for god and the silence beyond om stands for the attributeless brahman nirguna brahman so om stands for brahman saguna brahman god the god of religion whom you worship adore shiva kali durga our father in heaven allah jehovah whatever you call it the god of theistic religions the god of attributes omnipresent omniscient omnipotent loving just uh, the helper the one who listens to your prayers that is the auma and the silence beyond om it stands for pure consciousness which is the nirguna brahman attributeless brahman so when you are chanting om the first three quarters stand for saguna brahman and the silence the fourth quarter stands for nirguna brahman what are you what are you don't you don't have to be doubtful remember always keep keep your mind here i am the fourth the seventh mantra said sa atma that is the self you can see yeah that's a self but what am i self means you good for the self but what about me self means me you yourself so you are turiyam you are that pure consciousness so at the level of waking dreaming and deep sleep you are an individual and there is a cosmic dimension you are tiny and this is huge right you are one individual here and look at this world if there is a consciousness associated with the entire universe that's what we will call god that's the virat so at the waking level dream level and deep sleep level the difference between jiva and saguna brahman god and the individual is clear 
We are never saying that the individual being you see yourself as I, this person am God. That's megalomania, ought to be locked up. But what you are saying is, when you do not consider yourself to the waking body or the, the dreaming mind or the causal body beyond, beyond that, the causality beyond that, beyond all three, you are that unchanging consciousness, isness, consciousness, bliss. That is also Nirguna Brahman. There, Jiva and Brahman, individual and cosmic are not there. Even in your deep sleep, you do not feel any difference between part and whole. So, Om Pranavo Brahma. Om is Brahman. And what, are, what is that Brahman? Here it Nirbhayam, beyond fear. Uh, the attributeless Brahman, Nirguna Brahman is said to be beyond fear. Beyond fear means where there is no duality, there can be no fear. Where there is no second, what will you be afraid of? You are afraid of, attracted to, fearful of, anxious about. A second thing, a second person. But if all is one, where is what is there to be fear? Who will be afraid of what? So Nirguna Brahman, the, the silence, the consciousness corresponding to the silence, that is beyond fear. So Brahman is said to be Pranavo Brahma Nirbhayam. Pranava is Om, that Om is equal to Brahman, and Brahman is equal to Nirbhayam. Om is Brahman is is fearlessness. In fact, enlightenment is equated to fearlessness. When Janaka, the emperor, attained enlightenment, his guru, Yagyavalkya, told him, Abhayam vai prapto si Janaka, you have reached fearlessness. Brahman is fearlessness. There is no death there. Where is death? What dies? In the waking world, the body dies. The mind changes. Body and mind are continuously changing, subject to death, old age, decay, disease. But pure consciousness is, is a witness, is not affected by any of them. Nirbhayam, yes. Why Brahman, if Brahman created, or not created, if all of us are Brahman, yes. and everything is Brahman, why it, that to me in and of itself is a duality? How? Because it, it's, I mean, you're going to say it's an illusion, but we all exist and Brahman has created us out of itself. Right. So if Brahman creates... creates the duality. Ah, right. It's a very good question. In fact, you should come to the uh, talk, the no mind talk, which I'm going to give in, in the first week of June. But let me give you the, uh, the answer here. Your answer is coming up very soon. Let me ask you a question. Has the gold created a necklace? If you say the gold has created a necklace, is there a duality? Are there two things? Duality means two things at least. So are there two things, gold and necklace? Why are you saying no? Really? Yes, the golden necklace true, but there's gold and necklace. Can you can you give me the gold and keep your necklace? When you say there is something called look at the language, something called gold, something called thing, called necklace. Is that true? If the necklace is made of gold, are there two things then? 
Can you count them? Here is one gold. Let me set it aside. Then can you get the second thing called necklace? The necklace is not a second thing. Follow the language. The necklace is not a second thing apart from the constituent gold. Will you agree with me? No. Though it looks different. Why is the gold creating the necklace in the first place? Uh, that's, what I'm that's what I'm saying. I'm in fact answering your question. You must follow me. That is the necklace a second thing apart from the gold? No. Literally speaking, a second thing. No. Right? You just said no. So, not to. No second means not to. So, the gold is non-dual with respect to the necklace. Non-dual means there is no second thing. If there is no second thing, can we say the gold has created a necklace? You say, why has gold created a necklace? If you ask gold, gold says, I did nothing. <laughs> the necklace is not a second thing apart from the gold. What, now you might ask, you, you can push the question. Okay, so why is the uh, gold appearing as a necklace? Yes. Right? Absolutely. No, 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 she, she's right. This is the question. I'll, 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 I'll. Yes. And not only half of them are suffering and half having a great life. Half of them and those who are... No, no, it's a question. You should ask this and understand it thoroughly. Uh, those who are having a great life will very soon be suffering. And those who are suffering, some of them might have a great life afterwards. There's no end to that. Now, why is this happening? Somerset mom asked this very question. He went to meet Raman Maharshi. And then he writes in an essay, Somerset mom, you know, the one who wrote um, Razor's Edge, Larry, the story of Larry. Um, it set off a lot of quest for spirituality in, in America. Uh, so he writes about um, the creation of the universe. Brahman projected this universe, or Brahman created within quotes, projected or through Maya or whatever. And he writes, I felt Brahman could have let well enough alone. <laughs> Why at all do it? Why not sit still? Her question. And the answer is it does sit still. Here, in deep sleep, it, you sit still. There's nothing. There's no creation. What you mean by sitting still is that there is no difference, no change, no, um, no manifestation, nothing. That is what you call, that's called deep sleep. In the, in the um, cosmic level, it is called cosmic dissolution, pralaya. And that's a state that the universe goes through. We all go through it every day. No difference. <coughs> Think about it. Having a great life or suffering. In deep sleep, does anybody suffer or does anybody have a great life? Nothing. So you go through that. Now your question will be, okay, why not remain sleeping all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. We have asked this question earlier and answered it also. Yes. Um, why? Do, no, this is an old question. And this is the eternal question. Why does Turiya appear in all of these forms? And the answer finally, Gaudapada gave. Multiple answers I've given you. Many, many answers. Divine play, Leela. It's fun. That's why. Why, then if you ask, why I have fun? Why I have fun? There's no further question. If a child is playing and you ask, why are you playing? It's because it's fun. After that, you don't ask any question because fun is an end in itself for us. So, that's one answer. You might say it's not convincing. doesn't matter. It's an answer. 
and it was convincing for many people. In the Bhakti Shastras, that's the last answer you get. Karma, cause and effect. Because of a beginningless chain of causes and effects, this is what Turiya appears at this point. And causation will continue and give you different forms, names and forms. But at every point, it is Turiyam alone. Whatever the form of the jewel, it was a necklace earlier, melted down, made into a bracelet, melted down, made into a ring. Right now it's a ring. Next time it might be a tiara or a crown or something like that. But Advaita says, all the time, there is no harm because it is gold alone. If it only would rec recognize itself as gold alone. If only you would recognize yourself as Turiya. No, but I'm giving you the answers. One answer is uh, is play. One answer is is uh, causation, cause and effect. You have set into motion a cause; it will give an effect. Um, then another answer is um, uh, because we are going through this process to realize ourselves as the Turiyam, we need to go through all these experiences. It's something convincing for some people. Another answer is Maya, that nothing has actually happened. Turiyam has not appeared in anything, it just looks like that. You see, the difference is this something really happens, and you are in, in misery, somebody treats you badly, somebody insults you. That's one situation. That's one situation. Compare it with the situation where you suddenly wake up and sit on your bed and think, realize, oh, I was dreaming, nobody insulted me. I alone uh, divided myself into the insulter and insultee <laughs> in my dream. Now, does that make the situation better? It does. Because really there was no harm done at all. It was a dream. That is the answer given by Maya. That's one answer. I've already given you four. There's a fifth one, which Gaudapada himself gives. What is the fifth one? It's the very nature. The gold can be in some form. It can be a gold bar, it can be a necklace, a ring. In fact, all ornaments are potentially there in the gold. Why not be an ornament? It's fun. When you realize yourself as gold, when you are not harmed at all. See, who is not harmed? The enlightened person is not harmed at all. Because the enlightened person realizes, I am Satchidananda, let whatever happen at the level of body and mind, number one. The unenlightened person is also not harmed. Why? Though the everything seems to be horrible, disease and death and loss, but ultimately if this is true, is there any real disease or death or loss? No. Because you are Satchidananda all the time. It's like saying, why are there these terrible disasters? Um, Earthquakes uh, and King Kong coming and smashing the Empire State Building and, and uh, all of these things, terrible aliens landing and uh, conquering the world or killing all of us. You will say, what's your problem? It's fun. It's Hollywood. From the point of view of the movie screen, no harm. The new movie screen will say, what alien? What King Kong? What earthquake? I'm all right. The worst of earthquakes, aliens, King Kong has not uh, uh, touched me at all. Now you are that screen. You are that Turiyam. So the answer might be, you're asking why I at all appear as, as anything. 
Why not? It's, it's, uh, it's the infinite potential for everything in the universe is within you. You can appear as these things. This is the final answer given by Gaudapada. Yes. So Swami, given that you're giving us multiple answers. Yes. It is quite possible that we don't know the answer. True. That, no, if there are five answers, then it's hard to believe all five are right answers. If it appeals to you, then it's a good answer for you. If it doesn't appeal to you, then there is the possibility that some questions just we can't grasp or don't know the answer. That's the also... That, that's, yeah, absolutely. That's quite possible. Note that what he is saying is interesting because note that this is, this, is, this is a question which we ask. A person who is enlightened never asks this question. Not one person who is enlightened who has actually realized God in whatever tradition. Uh, in, uh, in, the, in the tradition of jnana or uh, in, 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 in the tradition of uh, um, bhakti or whatever. None of them ever asked this question. So that means, in knowledge, this question is not there. In knowledge, there is, there, this question is not there. This question is there only in ignorance. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> Didn't tell me. It was actually, it actually published in, in, um, in Prabuddha Bharat. I'll, I'll come to you. It was published in Prabuddha Bharat. A monk who followed the um, philosophy of, of um, who followed the philosophy of uh, Ajatavada, that there is no creation. Then, how do you explain the world? That was the question asked to that monk. He said, "What world?" And then the questioner was asking him, "This, this thing. Don't you see it? Can't you see it? Hear it? Smell it? Touch it? Taste it? You know about it?" Said, oh yeah, oh this, you mean this? This is Brahman shining forth. This is Brahman. Where is the thing that you are calling a world? Yes. Shamiji, I just think Brahman, the context of Brahman, okay? I think even Shami Vivekananda, everybody says, if we accept the birth circle, our karma is already design, everything is going according to mathematical equation, then why Brahman is not the mathematical absolute theorem? Because our all actions are, we don't see, but top self, Puriyanta counts everything. Every circle we are finding past action. We can see, but it is already designed. Then it is a mathematical problem. Equation, if you take the whole thing, is a design. Already the mathematical theorem is Brahman. Why not? She's asking why at all this? <laughs> if Brahman is Satchidananda, then why at all this? Yes. What if we look at it the other way around and say that Brahman is the existence and Brahman asks the question, well, why isn't there some imagination? Why isn't there this play? this what we call the world diversity plurality yes. why isn't there fun we are back to fun again having fun yes. <laughs> so so anyway so these are the multiple explanations offered you will see some appeal to some people some do not appeal to others some may be too subtle and not quite you don't get traction on what they're trying to say some may be poetic 
Some may be logical. The law of karma is like trying to answer it logically. Some may be metaphysical. Some are very epistemological, like the Maya theory is epistemological. That it's an error, it says. Um, some may be, the ultimate thing is it's, that there is no need to ask this question. It's the very nature of Turiyam to appear in these ways. Yes. No, 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 I never mentioned that. This is what we have been discussing from the very beginning. Look, it says, the Upanishad says, look at yourself, the self, Atman. You experience yourself in four ways, in, in, three, in four ways it says, four aspects of the self. Three of them are these. You, ha you wake, like you are awake now, and you have a universe, waking universe. So the waker and the waking universe. And you dream. In the dream you have a dream world. So the dreamer and your dream world. And you have a deep sleep experience. You fall asleep and blank. These are the three ways you experience yourself. Isn't it? What Upanishad tells you is, these three are part of your experience. But what Upanishad is telling you is that you are actually a one consciousness which appears or is experienced in these three ways. That one unchanging consciousness is Turiyam. So what I said was, Turiyam alone appears as the waker, you and your waking universe. As you the dreamer and your dream universe. As you the deep sleeper and the merged universe of deep sleep. What is the deep sleep universe basically? There is no universe there. Where did it go? The way Upanishad sees is it that your waking and dream universes are all there in deep sleep, but they are merged in darkness. You, they are not experienced separately. That's what we studied in the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter of the self. Do you remember? Hmm. Alright, let me just go ahead a little bit. I'll come back to the questions again. Pranave nitya yuktasya nabhayam vidyate kwachit. The one who constantly focuses on pranava, on om, constantly focuses in what way? I am that witness consciousness, studium, which is signified by the silence at the end of om. That's how you focus. Na bhayam vidyate kvachit. That person will have no fear. No fear where? No fear in the waking world, dream world or deep sleep world. Nothing in the waking will phase you. Nothing in the deep sleep, no nightmare. Even if you experience the nightmares. Has no problem for you, and death or deep sleep also will have no terror for you. Because you know they are all you alone. You are not harmed the least by anything that happens in the waking, dreaming, or deep sleep. You means that turium, that consciousness corresponding to the silence. Not you, the waker. The waker can, has many terrors, the dreamer has many terrors, and the deep sleeper may not have any terror as such, but the seed of all terror is there. The latency, potency of all terror is there. But you, the pure consciousness, on whom these three play, you have absolutely no, no problem. You can happily exist in the waking state, in the dream state, or switch yourself off in the deep sleep state. All three states can come and go, you can be relaxed. The game of life, the drama of life, you will enjoy it. All of it. Somebody said, actually one Swami, I'll tell you in Hindi and translate, it's Powerful application of this. 
how you can be fearless throughout life. It says, he said, Advait vevahar ko mitata nahi. Advaita, non-duality, does not wipe out. Vevahar is a term which means your transactional experience. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Does, especially your waking world. It does not wipe it out. Advait vevahar ko mitata nahi. Advait aapko vevahar mein nirbad kar deta hai. Advaita makes you limitless in transaction. It loses all meaning if I translate into English. What it means is, Advaita makes you absolutely free, effortless, relaxed, fearless in day-to-day life. That's the meaning. Advaita does not erase your experience of day-to-day life. You see, why this, this question arises at all is, sometimes people think spirituality means I will not experience, somehow I'll be rescued from the mess that is my life and it will all, either it's, it's going to become perfect. If it's going to become perfect, that's called heaven, swarga, the heaven concept. That's what's, that's what's, that is the concept of heaven. It's going to become very nice. It can become very nice, but that also is strictly limited. It will again, as the Buddha said, all compounded things decay. Work out your salvation with diligence. So even heaven, the perfection which you put together, that will also decay and collapse one day. So that will not work. Another way is people think in deep samadhi, I will not experience the world. I will not experience the body and its problems. I will not experience the world and its problems. I will sit still in samadhi. That is wiping out your transactional experience. That's wiping out day-to-day life. But Advaita is not that. that. That master said, Advaita makes you fearless, relaxed and happy in the midst of transactions, in the midst of day-to-day behavior. You can go shopping, you can uh, go work, you can uh, be in a relationship, you can uh, transact with the world. Do Your very presence will be a blessing to everybody. You have no problems with anything and anybody in the world, any situation in the world. So that's what Advaita does. Yes. I have two practical questions. Right. You said in silence, when we do this Om, mm-hmm. we reach a peaceful blank. Yes. How do we know we reach the next step? Mm-hmm. I mean, we seem to be wallowing in that blankness. No, that blankness, if you reach a blankness, if it's a peaceful blankness, from there, just... The turn is necessary to the consciousness which shines upon that peaceful blankness. Once you grasp that consciousness, you will see it is the consciousness which shines in and through all these three. So can it be so easy as that? It can be. (laughs) But practically, probably it is not because we are not getting to it. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. So, does it erase the world from you? Does it erase your life? Very peaceful world gone, universe gone, life gone. No. Advaita doesn't do that. Advaita actually doesn't change anything in the world. The world remains, the world appearance. It remains as it is, but you realize that and you are that one existence consciousness bliss which you really are. So, you have no problem with it. You have absolutely no problem with anything, anyone, anywhere. 
it's, it's a great piece. It's a tremendous breakthrough. It's like an enormous load off your shoulders forever and ever. But if you find the load interesting, you know, fun, then don't be in a hurry for enlightenment. <laughs> take, take your time. Suff- you know, misery, suffering, struggle, anger, hatred, ups and downs, heaven and hell. Go through that. Wait, let me just go a little further. Now, Pranave Nitya Yuktasya, one who is constantly focused on Pranava, connected to the Pranava. Connected means to that, I am that silence consciousness. That person has no fear anywhere at any time. The whole universe may collapse. No problem. Absolutely no problem. So what do you mean no problem? Because nothing really has collapsed. If from the point of view of the gold, if the gold is melted, the necklace is melted and coined into uh, a bracelet. Gold is the gold. If the water, you know, the wave crashes into the shore into spray. From the water's point of view, nothing has changed. I'm still water. I was water in the form of a rushing wave. Now I'm water as millions of drops of spray. No problem at all. From the wave's point of view, terrible problem. I'm dead. I hit the shore and I'm gone. Smashed into a thousand pieces. (coughs) All right. 25, 26. Another beautiful verse. Pranavohya param brahma. Pranavohya param brahma. Pranavascha parasmritaha. Pranavascha parasmritaha. Apurvonantaro bahyo. Apurvonantaro bahyo. Anapara pranavo Anapara pranavo Om. Pranava means Om. Om is surely Saguna Brahman. Om is surely Nirguna Brahman. Without prior, without consequence. Without cause, without consequence. Not inside and not outside. Unchangeable is this Om. Very important. What, remember what it refers to. The Turiyam, the silence consciousness. That is the meaning of Pranavaya. The consciousness, silence consciousness beyond A, U and Ma. But the whole Om, the A, U, M and the silence after that. It represents... First of all, it represents Saguna Brahman, God. What is Pranava? It is God. It is the name of God. A-U-Ma is the name of God. What is God in Vedanta? You see, these concepts are so simple, but crystal clear and so powerfully defined. So, tremendous clarity. I find it nowhere else. In the sacred literatures, theologies of the world, try to find out what exactly is God. You will end up with mysterious words and theological theories and speculations. Nothing. Here it's very, very clear. What do you mean by God in Vedanta? It means Om. What does Om stand for? The earth stands for the entire physical universe and consciousness associated with that. The name given to that is Virat. That's what Arjuna experienced in the 11th chapter of the Gita. U stands for The entire subtle universe, all our minds, the cosmic mind put together, consciousness associated with cosmic mind. Just as you inside yourself, you feel one mind. 
if you imagine consciousness associated with all minds, that is Hiranyagarbha, the, the subtle aspect of God, and in deep sleep, where everything is merged into a potential form, consciousness associated with that potential form, imagine the entire universe merged into a potential form, consciousness associated with that, the causal aspect of God. So God has a causal aspect, a subtle aspect, a physical aspect. All three, they refer to one God, not three gods. All three refer to one God, Saguna Brahman. So in Hinduism, it can be given different names and forms. Shiva, or Vishnu, or Durga, or Kali, or Ganesha, many, in any form, in any name. It all refers to Saguna Brahman. Om is the name of that Saguna Brahman. But that's not real, just as, not real means that's not the ultimate reality. Here we are talking about something beyond God. That one consciousness where you and God are one. You the individual and God the cosmic are one reality. That pure consciousness, Turiyam. That is also Om. How is that Om? The silence beyond the three is that pure consciousness. So Om as the silence consciousness represents Nirguna Brahman. Om as the sound A-U-M-A represents Saguna Brahman. That is the idea of the ultimate reality. Nirguna Brahman is the absolute. In English, you might, if you want to use the words, Saguna Brahman is God and Nirguna Brahman is the absolute. That is Om. Om, Pranavo Hyaparam Brahman. Om is the relative Brahman. Pranavascha Parasmita. Om is also the transcendent or supreme Brahman. Then, Apurva an, uh, Anaparaha. Okay. Om is neither a cause, that means the, the, the Nirguna Brahman, is neither a cause nor an effect. Do you remember we had done the karikas that um, effect, the waker and the dreamer are effects and the deep sleeper is the cause? Do you remember we called it this, the seed and this is the sprout, Bijankura. We called it, what else did we call it? We, we, we called it the, um, the, the, the cause is this one. Uh, pragya and the dreamer and the waker are the effect uh, cause and effect uh, we called it the uh, the causal subtle and gross we called it the um, we called it deep sleep and dreaming sleep and dreaming right deep sleeper is asleep and dreamer is dreaming waker is also dreaming so the physical world and the subtle world are the effect and the deep sleep world is the cause but Om, the pure consciousness, is neither cause nor effect. Om does not give rise to any universe. Here is the answer to your question. I was saying the answer will come. You are asking, why does, uh, Nirguna, why does Brahman create all this? Which means you are asking, why is Brahman a cause of all this? When you ask why, look at the language, why. Why means you are asking a cause. What is the cause? Brahman is the cause of all of this. Then you're asking, why is Brahman the cause of all of this? And the answer is being given here, Apurva. Brahman is not the cause of anything. Anapara. Brahman is not an effect also. So, actually this Turiyam is not a waker, not a dreamer, not a deep sleeper. These are all appearances. Really it is this. It's like saying, Gold is gold all throughout. It's never really a necklace, even when it appears as a necklace. There's no second thing called necklace. 
Go is gold the cause of a thing called necklace? Answer is no. Gold is not the cause of a thing called necklace. Is gold the producer of something called a bracelet? No. Why not? Because show me a thing called bracelet. There is no thing called bracelet. There is no effect called bracelet. Apurva anapara. These two words means that pure consciousness, turiyam, is not a cause, not an effect. You the pure consciousness. You are not the cause of this universe. You are also not an effect, a part of this universe. No. You are pure consciousness always. Again, anantara avaihya. It's neither... Neither inside nor outside. Neither inside nor outside means again answer to your question. Very interesting. Let me ask you this question. The necklace, is it inside the gold or outside the gold? <coughs> Tell me. Why? Both? Hmm. Is it inside the gold? One way of saying would be, yeah, it's inside the gold because that's gold, that's gold here and the necklace is there. But really, is there a thing called a necklace inside the gold? No. Like we are inside this room. There's water in the glass. So is there a necklace in the gold? No. Is it outside the gold? That, that is the right answer. There is no thing called necklace. What is necklace? It's a word. So, I use the word. There is no doubt. You cannot deny that there is a word called necklace. But where is the thing called necklace? I just use the word called necklace. But where is the thing called necklace? Whatever you can point to, whatever you can touch, is the gold and gold alone. You'll say, no, Swami, you're just playing with words. Look, that particular shape which you put here, that shape which you put here, that's a necklace, that's a bracelet. But is the shape a thing? It's, uh, is the form any kind of reality? Because apart from gold, does it have any existence? No. You say, no, there is a form called a bracelet or a necklace. Then I say, give me the form, take the gold. You can't. The form has no existence apart from the gold. So, answer to your question. The world, you say, why does Brahman produce this world? Why couldn't it sit, sit silent? Your question was that. My answer is, Show me the world and I will give you the answer. Where is the world? Is it outside? Did it produce little world stepped out of Brahman? I have been produced now. No, it can't. The moment it steps out of Brahman, it will disappear. Is there a world inside Brahman? Like a little baby kangaroo inside it <laughs> sitting in the mother's pouch? No. There is no reality called the world which can be inside or outside Brahman. If you understand what Brahman is, then you cannot think of a separate reality called the world. Neither inside, na antaro na bahya. Neither inside nor outside pranava, om, that silence consciousness. Is there any world about which you are asking? You might say, show me all the logic you want Swami. But I have the feeling that there is a world, it requires an explanation. The only answer is, awaken from it. <laughs> awaken into your Turiya nature. Instead of trying to answer that question, he says, focus on Om, the silence beyond Om. From that point of view, when you look back upon your question, the answer will be obvious. Let me finish. And hence, because 
Turiyam, the pure consciousness, the silence consciousness represented by Om, is neither a cause nor an effect. It has neither produced a world inside it or outside it. Hence, it is unchangeable. There is no change. All change is in, in these three. There is no change. Abhyaya, indestructible, changeless, is this Turiyam. Pranavo Abhyaya, Om is unchanging. 27. Sarvasya pranavo hyadi, Sarvasya pranavo hyadi, Madhyamanta stathevacha, Madhyamanta stathevacha, Evam hi pranavam jatva, Evam hi pranavam jatva, Vyashnute tadanantaram, Vyashnute tadanantaram. Of everything in the universe, whatever you experience in your life, all of this universe, the gross and the subtle universe, Pranava, Om, is the beginning of everything, is the middle of everything, is the end of everything. Beginning, middle or end, in what sense? In spatially, temporarily. Temporary means, temporarily means in time, in space and in time. Look at the Necklace, if it's strung out in front of you in Tiffany's or something. At the beginning of the necklace, at this end, it's gold. In the middle, it's gold. And at the end of the necklace also, it's gold. At the beginning, middle and end, it's gold throughout. Look at your experience. Every bit of your experience in the waking, in the dream and in deep sleep. All of it is pervaded by one consciousness, awareness alone. In awareness you are awake, in awareness you dream, in awareness you sleep. Beginning, middle and end is awareness. Again take the gold, in, in temporarily, in time. In time, this was in space, beginning, middle and end. In time, when the necklace was first put there, you know, came out of the shop of the jewellers. At the beginning, to begin with it was gold. When it was sold and used and gifted and all, it was gold. And when finally, before being melted down you know, into some other form, it is still gold. So at birth, in between and at death, you are still that Turiyam. Beginning, middle and end in time, beginning, middle and end in space, it is Om alone. Om is the beginning, middle and end of everything, spatially and time-wise. Then... Evam hi pranavam gyatva. In this way, when you realize pranava, when you realize the pranava in this way, what happens? Vyashnute tadanantaram. You become identified with it instantaneously. When you realize Om alone is everything, in time and in space, Vyashnute tadanantaram, you become identified. Vyashnute means merge. You become identified with it. I am that. When, how long does it take? The moment you realize this, not slowly. Now I'm 50% Om and 50% not Om. <laughs> slowly becoming more and more Om like. <laughs> Omi. <laughs> Earlier I was Omless. Now I'm. <laughs> I, now I have an Om. <laughs> no. You instantaneously, tadanantaram, instantaneously, you are Om, that, that silence beyond Om.
The moment you know this, realize it. That's all. Then 28. Pranavam Ishwaram Vidyat. Pranavam Ishwaram Vidyat. Sarvasya Ridi Samstitam. Sarvasya Ridi Samstitam. Sarva Vyapinamongkaram. Sarva Vyapinamongkaram. Matvadhiro Nashochati. Matvadhiro Nashochati. The God of religion, Ishwara, that is, it mentions that again specifically. What about God we, which we worship in religion, in Hinduism or in Islam or in Christianity, Judaism? That is also Om. He specifically mentions that. Pranavam hi Ishwaram Vidyat. No, Pranava alone to be. A Uma, this part of it. To be the God of religion. Sarvasya Hridi Sangstitam. That God of religion, you see, it, it, in the hearts of everybody. Immanent in the hearts of everybody. The, everybody here means every individual being. Like us right here. Quite apart from all the Vedantic thinking. Right here we are individual beings. God is in our heart. That God is also Om. In the Yoga Sutras you get this. Tasya Vachaka Pranava. Pranava. Om is the name of God. There what God is, is, is being talked about. Not the absolute. Not pure consciousness. Not Turiyam. There he is talking about the God of religion. So that's why Om is used in all Hindu mantras. In all worship, the Om is used there. Because it's the name of God. Any deity you worship, the name of that deity is Om. Shiva, Vishnu, that comes later. But first Om. Sarva Vyapinam Omkaram. Om pervades everything. Matva Dhiro Nashochati. Meditating thus, Meditating thus on Omkara, Dhira. The word used is very interesting. Dhira, literally in the Sanskrit, in uh, Indian languages, Dhira means a patient one, one with spiritual fortitude. Dhir, you say, in Bengali, Hindi. So one who uh, is patient, who is, uh, um, who can hold on, persist to the end. There's a beautiful saying, like, uh, uh, as an American would say, a big shot is a little shot who keeps shooting. <laughs> so, so, dhira means a person who holds on to this truth. We understand. And then we get, get go out and look okay, at there's other things to do. Who's going to spend time sitting and doing Om? Dhira who, is, who holds on. Holds on to what? This understanding. Hold on to this understanding. Stabilize yourself in it. Try to live life in it in the light of that. So dhira, it requires patience. It requires fortitude, um, focus, determination. Sticking to it. Meditating thus, the dhira, nashochati, goes beyond sorrow. The knower of Brahman goes beyond sorrow. The whole point of this exercise was transcendence of sorrow and attainment of bliss. The one who knows this, one who gets established in it. First know it and then get established in it. Sorrow cannot touch you. You see, it is... I was listening to a discussion, a panel discussion on Buddhism on YouTube. Uh, it was somewhere, I think in New York or somewhere. And the persons who were discussing, they were either scholars or practitioners of Buddhism. But the, the first speaker... 
was an American person. So clearly from a Jewish or Christian background. And now a practicing Buddhist. He made a statement which made me smile. He said, you're talking about Buddhism. He said, is Buddhism a religion? That was the question. And he said, look, uh, Buddhism, some describe Buddhism as a non-theistic religion. But I really don't know what that means. You know, it's uh, an oxymoron to me. Now, it's those who are coming from a Semitic religious background, Abrahamic religion, um, Islam or Judaism or Christianity, where the idea of God and religion are almost synonymous. You cannot have a religion without God. So, when you introduce something like Buddhism, it's very strange. How can you call it religion? It's like the heart of religion has been taken out. Religion is organized around God. Whatever you call it in different sects. But God must be there. How can you have religion without God? So, so to that person who is actually a Buddhist, who is practicing Buddhist, but he finds it difficult to conceive of a non-theistic religion. Whereas if you come from a Hindu background, you can have a theistic religion, you can have a non-theistic religion. Um, the... The Sankhya philosophy, for example, does not talk about any kind of God. Hindus have lived for more than 2,500 years with Jains and Buddhists who do not talk about any kind of God. And we, yet we consider them to be pretty religious. I have seen Hindu mandirs in this country, uh, Hindu temples, with, uh, including a shrine for Mahavira. The, the, yeah, there are a number of Hindu temples where the Jains also go and worship. If you think about it, that's very strange. If you think about it in a... Theistic, Abrahamic religion context. Here you have a religion which is about God. Shiva, Vishnu, Kali, whatever you call it. Very, very God-oriented kind of worship which Hindus do. And parallelly, here are these people, the Jains, who are coming in, who are absolutely have nothing to do with God at all. And both of them are worshipping in the same temple. It's not a problem from an Indian perspective. You know that religion can be theistic, religion can be non-theistic. So Buddhism is a non-theistic religion, makes perfect sense from, uh, from a Hindu perspective. Anyway, that's just by the way. So, but here it says the god of theism is also Om. Om is also the god of theism. 29th verse, last one. Let's conclude. Amatronantamatrascha Amatronantamatrascha Dvaitasya upashama shivaha, Dvaitasya upashama shivaha, Onkaro vidito yena, Onkaro vidito yena, Samunir netaro janaha, Samunir netaro janaha. Amatra. Amatra means the silence. Anantamatra. The limitless silence. Look, why limitless? Somebody asked a question. What's the difference between this last one, mm, and the silence? The mm is limited. It has a beginning and an end. The a uh is limited. It has a beginning and an end. When you pronounce it, it begins and ends. U is limited. It is a beginning and an end. But silence is unlimited. It is there in the background when you are chanting Om. And when you finish Om, it is still there. Silence has no beginning or end. So silence is anantamatra and that's why it's a perfect representative of the limitless consciousness. The waking, limited. Dreaming, limited. Deep sleep, limited. 
But the consciousness in which all of these three appear and disappear, that is unlimited consciousness. Anantamatrasya. And what is this Om? Dvaitasyopashama Shivaha. Direct reference to the seventh mantra. It is the cessation of all duality. The silence beyond Om is the cessation of all duality. Why is it the cessation of all duality? Because all names, A, U, Ma, merge into the silence. Why do they merge into the silence? Remember, because they do not represent any object anymore. All objects are nothing other than pure consciousness. Just as the words, necklace, bracelet and ring, they, are, they disappear because they have no object to refer to. Because all the things they refer to are now found to be gold alone. In the same way, silence is dvaitasyopashama, is the cessation of duality. Uh, just as the universe disappears as nothing other than pure consciousness, similarly the silence is the, where all the sounds disappear. Shivaha, it is the most auspicious, beyond suffering. Omkaro Vudita Yena, the one who knows Om in this way, who has realized Om. Realized Om means realized that I am this Turiyam, I am existence consciousness bliss. Sa muni naitaro janaha. Muni means mananat muni. In the word muni in Sanskrit means a sage. A sage. The one who realizes this, that one is a sage. Naitaro jana. Not others. Not the ones who give lectures about Om. <laughs> not them. Not who, those who write books about Om. Not the ones who have long beards and sit in. You know, like we, we, have, we used to have comic books when we were kids. All the sages would sit under a tree and have long beards. And, and so, na not others who talk about it. The commentator says, not other people who may be learned in the scriptures, but the one who has realized, I am Om. I am that silence consciousness. So, I'll take one or two questions. One or two, yes. If it's an object, what is it? We here remember, Advaita Vedanta is firmly rooted in reality. What is the reality of that? The reality can only be the substance. For example, let's say justice or gender gender equality. Those yeah. are like abstract concepts. Right. We can't show it as separate things. No. Can the name and form can't be similar kind of a thing. Yeah. They, the, look at the language you used. You cannot show it as separate things. Can you show gender or justice as something separate from awareness? Don't they arise in somebody's awareness somewhere? Can they exist without awareness? No. Nowhere. No, none of this can exist. A number. The concept of one, two, three, four numbers. They also, they, everything, every abstract concept ultimately depends upon consciousness itself. In that sense. Advaita does not deny. Advaita has no problem with, um, with uh, gender, justice, uh, with religion, with theism, atheism, Christianity, Buddhism, uh, Islam. No problem. Gaurapada will say. Those, the chapters which will follow now are very fascinating. In one place Gaurapada will say, The dualists put forth differing explanations and quarrel among each other. 
Tair ayamna virudhyete. This teaching which we have just given has no conflict with any teaching whatsoever. It is rather the basis of all the teachings. Everything in the universe depends on this. It has no quarrel. Does gold have any quarrel with any ornament? No. All ornaments depend on gold. And gold gives existence, lends existence to all ornaments. One ornament has a quarrel with another ornament. That same gold can either be a necklace or be a bangle. You can't have both at the same time. It can't be a necklace bangle. It can't be two. They're, they look different, the names are different, the uses are different. But both are nothing but gold. And both are given existence by gold. They cannot have any quarrel with gold. In the same way, this existence consciousness, Pristurium, this is the support of everything. The good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the, the, the learned and the ignorant, um, the heights of um, subtlety and the grossness, everything depends first this and then everything else. Vivekananda puts it this way, it is that existence first, then we color it with good or bad. You are that existence. All right. One more question. Yes. So when you talk about pure consciousness, yeah. why is there pure consciousness? I understand that you have different experiences in that huh. and the reasoning that you gave for why. Why is it pure consciousness? Why is it pure consciousness? What do you mean by pure consciousness? Here by pure, you understand? I do not mean something like pure thoughts and impure thoughts. You know, bad thoughts and good thoughts. I'm thinking about Krishna, that's a good thought. And I'm thinking about making money, that's a bad thought. I'm being greedy or something. No, not in that sense. Pure consciousness means contentless consciousness. Consciousness without any object. Why is this Turiyam called pure consciousness? Because all objects are imagined in it. They appear in it. They have no existence apart from it. But the pure consciousness itself has an existence, right? It is existence. It is the only thing that has existence. But why is it existence? Why is it just nothing at all? Ah, why? You're asking a question, why? Um, Why is there nothing at all? But you know, what is more fundamental? Let me ask this question. Let me put this question in a most abstract form. He's asking, why is there something rather than nothing? Are you asking this? In, in a way, yeah. yeah. So here we have gone, come to pure isness, pure awareness, and in which everything else in the universe, they are appearing and disappearing. They have no independent existence. So ultimately the question reduces to why at all this also? Why not nothing? Yeah. In fact, there was a book writ- written recently, very interesting book by Jim Holt. Yeah. Uh, why is there a universe? Oh, 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 why does, why does, why does the world exist? Why does the world exist? So he asked this question. You should read it. He asked this question, and he goes around asking this question to philosophers, to people from theologians, people from religion, to mathematicians, um, to uh, poets. Uh, so, you know, top people in different uh, fields, and he gets very interesting answers. Why is there anything rather than nothing? Let me give you an answer from another point of view, from an Indian philosophy point of view. What is fundamental? Existence or non-existence? Fundamental means, what, what does one depend on? If something depends on something else, then it's not fundamental. Non-existence, does it depend on existence? Yes. If, I can sh- 
Yes, an absence depends upon presence. When you say, when you say it is not there, follow this. When you say it is not there, you are, have to say then what is not there. So, it's, it's like this. In Nyaya philosophy, this has been analyzed. In Nyaya philosophy, one of the categories of things in the world, Padartha, they call it Padartha, things in the world. One of the categories is nothing, absence. So it, it, in Sanskrit, the word is abhava, absence. And would you believe it? They have, they have spent more than a thousand years thinking of nothing. <laughs> Literally more than a thousand years. And I spent um, three courses. One of the courses was for 15 days, five hours a day thinking about nothing. <laughs> the whole subject was nothing. I mean, yeah, abhava. We studied, and, and you will see, I mean... If you, um, if you Google it, I'm mean, Google, you will not find it. it it's very, very subtle. Uh, very sophisticated dialectics, philosophical arguments about nothing. So, <laughs> uh, it's, um, there have been great Nayaikas, logicians, Gangesha, they, who lived about a thousand years ago in what is now the present state of Bihar, in Mithila. So he started a new branch of logic by his masterpiece, Tattva Chintamani. Um, in that, in fact, the first person who translated a part of that, part of it, it's a really tough book. He's still alive. Jay and Mahanti, I'm going to meet him uh, two weeks hence. Uh, he, he lives here somewhere. Uh, so there is something called Abhavavada, um, the, the discussion or, or the um, the doctrine of, of, of nothing, of absence. So we studied that once. Anyhow, the point was, when you say some, it's not there, you have to say what is not there. They say abhava is sapratiyogika. In Sanskrit, sapratiyogika, which means, so if you translate those into English, it becomes absolute <laughs> jibber-jabber. Abhava sapratiyogika, you know what the English translation will be? Absence has a counter-positive. What does that mean? In put, to put it in simple words, when you speak about absence, you have to say, what is absent? If you say, not there, is absent, you say, who's absent? So the example they used was Bhutale, they will say, who is absent and where is it absent? So Bhutale Ghatovanasti, that was the sentence used for analysis for 75 hours. We went to, through an analysis of the sentence, there is no pot on the table. Bhutala means surface, basically. There's no pot on the table. Now remember, what are we talking about there? Absence, nothing. But then we have to say, what is absent? The pot is absent. Where is it absent? It's not absent everywhere in the universe. It's absent there on that particular table. So then what is more important? Presence or absence? Presence is fundamental. When that is denied, you call it absence. Let me answer it in another way. This is one, one answer. Another way. Look at the language you used when you asked a question. Why is there nothing instead of something? You use the term why, which means you want an explanation. What is an explanation? Cause. Right? Why is it wet out there? Because it rained. Why did it rain? Because of the clouds. You're giving explanations. Why is there something? You're asking. What are you asking? What is the cause of the presence of something? 
That means even to ask a question, you must accept causality. There must be causation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So if there is causation, then the cause must exist for there to be the effect. So something is there, you say why, then you are asking a cause of that. Nothing is there, you are asking why, then there must be a cause of nothing also. Even to ask for an explanation, you must ac- accept something like causality, a cause-effect relationship. Even to ask for a uh, thing like that. Yeah. So it could be, it's, it's what you said, it's isness. Isness. Isness, isness is to say there isn't anything, hmm. no fair statement. So there is nothing. Yes. Isness, in, in every situation there is isness. I was thinking of that also, if you, if you look at the l- l- language, um, an absolute vacuum. Is it there or not? Is there. So, isness is there. And in fact, this Turiyam, it is called Sat. It just means isness. In one sense, it is no thing. It's not a thing in itself. But it is the existence of all things. The possibility of all things. Everything exists because of this. But it's not a thing. Just as all ornaments exist because of gold. But gold is not a particular ornament. So, you can ask, I'm saying that you can ask why this ornament exists or that ornament exists. But you can't ask why gold exists. Because gold is the possibility of all ornaments. I mean, as far as gold is concerned, you can ask why it exists. It's a particular element. But here, it is isness itself. You can ask why this thing exists rather than that thing. Or why anything exists at all. But why existence itself exists, that you cannot ask. Without the question itself, then it does not exist. So these are different ways. You get into paradoxes when you come to at, the, at this level. Last, very last question. So we will use the meditation. True. Awareness of nothing is awareness of nothing is deep sleep. Awareness of nothing is deep sleep. That's what deep sleep is. You every day you experience it, but then awareness exists. Yes. Otherwise, you would not experience the nothing. Okay, now we are getting into re- really rarefied stuff. We will stop there. Now, uh, very beautifully, this uh, Mandukya Upanishad has been sung. It's a long thing, hours together. I don't know how many, three, four, five hours. So, but here we are going to go through five minutes of it. Uh, only the seventh mantra. So, Jayant will play it for us. We will sit quietly, relax and just listen to it. Remember the seventh mantra which tells you about Turiyam. Neither the dreamer, nor the sleeper, nor the... So especially remember, not the sleeper. <laughs> Don't sleep. Nor the waking, nor everything, nor nothing, nor something in transaction, nor the objects of the universe, and so on. The non-dual consciousness, that is what you are. Let's hear it. Sit quietly, relax. If you like, close your eyes. Indescribable. 
Shanti 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 Hari Yom Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamasu Next time, before proceeding to the second chapter, we will have a quick revision. We will see what we have got so far. We have finished the Mandukya Upanishad. We have finished the Karikas associated with the, uh, with the Upanishad itself. So, we have finished the first chapter of the Mandukya Karika. But remember the text has four chapters. So, before going on to the second chapter, we shall see what we have got so far. A revision. In Sanskrit, in philosophy, they have a beautiful term for revision. The way they describe it is so poetic. Singhavalokananyaya, which means in a deep forest, imagine in an Indian forest, a lion striding along, pacing along majestically. And once in a while, the lion stops and looks back upon the path it has covered so far before proceeding further. So that lion stopping and looking back majestically, that is called Singhavalokan, the lion looking back. Revision. So that's a very poetic way of describing revision. So next class the lion will look back. <laughs> will stop and look back. <laughs>